We're in a, a series called Rediscover Church. And oh yeah, by the way, I see a lot of you wearing Astros uh, orange. I'm uh, joining you today in the Astros uh, orange. It's a lot of fun. Um, and um, uh, come on, you can do better than that. You know, Astros orange. There you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, my, my favorite sports teams wear, wear orange. It's, uh, it's good to be an orange. Go big orange and go Astros. Uh, so today, let's talk a little bit about church leadership, just leadership in general. Let me put a f- statement up here on the screen. Leadership is influence. And I put this up here because many of you might say, well, I- I'm not a leader. I don't have that title. I don't have a position. But that's what leadership is. It's influence, first and foremost. And if you're a parent, you certainly want influence in your home and in your children. Uh, leadership is a verb, not so much a noun, it's a verb. Uh, second statement is leadership is working with and through others to achieve objectives. And the key word is the word others, not just doing it yourself, but working with others in a collaborative, cooperative way. And leaders just seem to have that nose on how to bring about positive and helpful progress and change. Leaders will establish core values. They'll allocate resources appropriately. They'll identify points of drift. They care, and they're willing to sacrifice, and they're willing to keep going in spite at times of opposition and difficulty, all right? So let me start today, and I want to read through a section of Scripture out of 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy 3, or your digital Bible, 1 Timothy 3, and we're going to read a description of leader uh, qualifications. And these uh, guidelines were given to local churches so that they might have some specific hands-on direction and how to choose leaders. And also, I think this teaching was given as a way of measuring our own spiritual lives, our, our own progress to maturity, okay? So here we go, 1 Timothy 3, beginning verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying, and whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. That word overseer, there are a number, number of synonyms in the Bible, pastor, elder, presbyter, bishop, all mean the same thing. Whoever desires this work, though, it's good to desire. It's a noble task. And he says here, uh, local churches ideally need a group of godly men who are set apart to oversee, protect, nurture, and equip the church. Verse 2, now the overseers to be above reproach. There's a general term right there. Faithful to his wife. Temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. In other words, they're clear-headed. They're thoughtful. They don't shoot from the hip. They're not impulsive. They're not careless. They have their emotions and hormones under control here, self-controlled, temperate, able to teach. Now, that's not talking about a classroom, but just the ability to give good, sound, spiritual direction based on the Word of God. It might be one-to-one. It might be one-to-twenty. But knowing God's Word and passing it along keeps the ship's rudder turning true. 
And leaders are in the growing people business, and you grow people by equipping them and teaching them. If they're not teachable, that's a membership flaw. But if leaders are not capable of doing the teaching and discipling, that's a leadership flaw. Verse 3, and they're not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. In other words, here they've got a tough skin, a tender heart, a short memory, a long fuse, and a generous pocketbook. And he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. Because if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He says, you want to look at uh, leadership uh, uh, skills and aptitudes? Take a look at their relational leadership history. Look at family. And he must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. In other words, he's not a newbie. He knows how to be a follower before he becomes any kind of a, of a leader. And so you're looking here for excellence in character. You know, there are standards of membership, but there are some higher standards of, of leadership. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's ideal. Nobody, uh, you know, can say we've always batted a thousand. My goodness. Jesus works through imperfect people. His grace equips us. But he's saying here that, you, that a local church needs elders to protect biblical integrity, financial integrity, lifestyle integrity, to protect the purity of the church, to protect the unity of the church, to protect the mission of the church as well. It is not a task for a politician. It is not a task for a weak-willed person. It is not a task for a person driven by the latest or loudest voice in their ear. And now he says something about deacons, about the diaconate. The deacons are a special group of servants. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. You know what a clear conscience is. A clear conscience is where you can say that no one can accuse you of a wrong that you've not attempted to make right. And they must first be tested. And then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And a deacon also must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. And so the diaconate, deacons, another group of uh, special servants in the church who have tasks and uh, they're going to see a need and meet it or they may be assigned a need, but they're saying, I'm willing to take on a little extra responsibility and, and do this and you can trust me. You can trust me with allocated resources. You can trust me with people. You can trust me behind closed doors. But he also says something here about women. Verse 11. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers. But temperate and trustworthy in everything. And then from Titus chapter 2, again speaking to women. Older women, likewise, 
are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So you see that? You see all these teachings about the importance of leaders and qualified leaders. And in a nutshell, it's asking all of us to own our own 20 square feet. That you have more influence than you can imagine. And if you will own your own 20 square feet, what you talk about, what, how you talk about it, what you choose not to talk about. You know, you can walk along with a group of people, walk along in a church, and you might see some smoldering ember, and you carry with you two buckets. You've got a bucket of kerosene, you've got a bucket of water. You see something amiss, some little smoldering ember, you can make it worse. Just throw a little kerosene on it. You can make it better. Put a little water on it. How can I solve the problem? How can I help? How can I redeem? How can I own my 20 square feet? Knowing I can't control anybody else. How can I own my 20 square feet? To keep the church on track, on mission, in unity, in step with the Spirit. So, um, church leadership is, let me give you some quick words here, descriptions. It is godliness driven. We just saw, and reading through a number of qualifications, it's godliness, it's character driven. Some of you are familiar with the name Peter Drucker, a management guru, and he said this, the three most charismatic leaders in this century, talking 20th century, inflicted more suffering on the human race than almost any trio in history. Hitler, Stalin, Mao. What matters is not the leader's charisma. What matters is the leader's mission. The church leadership and any kind of, you are a blessing in your home, in your community, in your office, as a Christian, because you're bringing the Holy Spirit there, you're bringing the character of Christ there, and you're bringing the purposes of God and, and how you lead in, uh, in the marketplace. So, um, secondly, uh, Christian leadership, it's, it's godliness-driven. It's plural in the church. It's plural. No one person is, uh, is, is the grand leader. And that means there has to be a collaborative, cooperative spirit. There has to be a submissive spirit. But you know what? Jesus submitted to the Father, did he not? The Apostle Paul submitted to the discussion and the will of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. The Apostle Peter was willing to listen to Paul and be corrected in Galatians chapter 2. Thirdly, church leadership is complex. It is. And I would submit to you that the church is the most leadership-intensive enterprise in society, and here's why. It's utterly voluntary. So the traditional ways of motivating someone and leverage, you don't have that in a church. 
It's utterly voluntary. It's utterly altruistic. And in church work, unless someone is motivated internally, there's nothing we can do. I've had church members over the years who kind of look at me to say, Ronnie, I'm not going to do it and you can't make me. And you're exactly right. I can't make you. There's something no one can. There's a statement in the scripture that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who work labor in vain. That unless people have some internal want to, leaders have zero power, no leverage, there's no button to push. And I think church leadership is complex because it's situational. There are times when you need to be a commander. Times you got to be a catalyst. Sometimes you just got to be an encourager. And it's so paradoxical too. We need to be optimistic, but we also need to be realistic. We need to be clear and direct. We also need to be kind. We need to be empowering, but we also have to control what needs to be controlled. We got to be urgent and get it done, but you have to be patient as well. And church leadership is layered, layered. And we need it at every level. We need it at the macro level. We need it at the mezzo level, the mid-sized level. I mean, we need it at the micro level. And so, because leadership is influence, some of you might be church-wide leaders, and that's so valuable. And some of you might lead mid-sized groups, and some of you, you lead a smaller group. But leadership is needed at every level. And the next is purposeful. It's not aimless, it's purposeful. And here's our purpose. Colossians 1 verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Notice, here's the purpose. So that we might present everyone mature in Christ. I quoted Peter Drucker earlier. He was a management guru. Later in his life, he began to, to turn more to nonprofit and church management because his faith began to develop. And, and he said, churches don't need to be more businesslike. Churches have to be more church-like. Businesses have a bottom line. And sometimes a business needs to operate by the mantra of whatever the customer wants, we want to provide. But he said, churches are in the business of transforming your quote-unquote customers. And it's important that you never lose that vision the way Paul would say it. What's our aim? What's our goal? To present everyone mature in Christ. And to do that, we have to be dependent dependent, knowing that it is certainly not about me or about you, and we can't do this in our own power. Any kind of leadership where someone's soul is nurtured, oh my goodness, we are so dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit to be Spirit-led, for that heart to be Spirit-touched and open, for us to minister through the power of prayer 
to invite the touch of God upon any kind of conversation or class or group or setting or any kind of leadership endeavor. As Paul would say, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And my friends, you have influence more than you think, and God will show up. When you bring your version of your fish and chips, remember the little boy who brought five loaves and two fish and said, Jesus, I'm going to give this to you. See what you can do with it. When you have your version of your fish and chips, your abilities, your attempts to serve, your attempts to make a difference, God's going to show up and surprise you in wonderful ways. I think it was David Ben-Gurion who said this, anybody who doesn't believe in miracles is not a realist. Anybody that's walked with the Lord, you've seen God show up and do things that are just inexplicable. And so church leadership, ultimately, we are, God doesn't need me, God doesn't need you, but he chooses to need you, and he chooses to need me. And we're dependent upon him as we partner together. Now, there are some temptations that come along with, uh, uh, with leadership. Let me just mention four. First one is pressure. Because if you're going to lead anything, there's some, there's some pressure. And there may be a temptation to, to hide or to handle that pressure in less than healthy ways. And so awareness is, is important here. And uh, to lean upon the Lord. And in that pressure, in those times of stress and anxiety, he will walk with you and help you and carry you. And carry you. There's a temptation to power, uh, especially if you've been doing it a while, a sense of entitlement. But wherever there's a sense of entitlement, you're not qualified to steward something. We're all servants here. But my friends, never fear power in the hands of a spirit-led person. Because while power can be used in a negative way, power can also be used in such a positive way. I mean, the classic example is our great God who's all-powerful, but who uses his power for our good. And can you imagine someone over here who had power and resources and gifts and abilities where they could advance the cause of Christ, and they did nothing with it? Power can be used to bless and create in the church to equip, to inspire, to protect. And also there's a temptation to purity. To maybe let our public persona be one thing when we have some uh, dangerous things growing in our private life. We, gotta, we want to be clean vessels. And then there's a temptation with people. You know, the longer you've known people, maybe sometimes the, uh, you may not be willing to say something that's, that needs to be said. Or sometimes you can be, you know, if you're in any kind of a leadership position, you're going to get second-guessed. Listen, it goes with the turf. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you're going to get some paper cuts. One church leader talked about death by paper cuts. 
you get one paper cut, it, you know, it hurts a little bit, but you get a lot of them, you start bleeding to death. Or, you know, you're not, you're not bitten by a shark, but maybe nibbled on by, by minnows uh, quite a bit. And if you're not careful, your spirit can get cynical, jaded. You begin to seethe. And there's a lack of graciousness on your part. And you start to think those commands from the Lord like forgive as you've been forgiven like well that's just a cliche it's not a cliche it's for your good for the good of those around you as well the good news in all of this though is that these temptations are not fatal they can be faced in the power of the spirit we can receive wisdom encouragement from one another we can rest knowing that when we slip we make a mistake we have a down day our father in heaven is for us he'll help us and every new day is a fresh start. I want to remind you that the most difficult person you will ever try to lead is yourself. You do know that, don't you? John Maxwell's a leadership guru, written all kinds of books on leadership, does all kinds of speaking around the globe on, on that topic. And he was asked uh, during a Q&A uh, conference someone said what's been your greatest challenge as a leader and he said leading myself it's always been my biggest challenge he said uh, he said if you're like me you could trace many of your own challenges and problems to your own personal leadership mismanagement he said if I could kick the person responsible for most of my problems I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week he said, the person we must first examine is ourselves. And when we look in the mirror, what happens is we tend to use two totally different sets of criteria for evaluating another person and evaluating ourselves. We tend to evaluate others by their actions, what you did, what you said, what I observed. We tend to operate, we tend to evaluate ourselves by our intentions by our best moments, by, my, by our motives. I, I meant well. And it's very, very important that we pay attention to leading ourselves because when you get better, everybody around you gets better. When a leader gets just a little better, everybody around you improves and gets better. I'm going to encourage you to pay attention to the Father. Pay attention to your own mental toughness. And what that means is you're going to have to become a preacher and preach to yourself. Preach the truth of God's Word, the big rocks of God's Word to you. Remind yourself often, greater is the Holy Spirit who's in you than he that is in this world. That you can call upon the Lord and He will hear from you. That he loves you, knows you, cares for you, and you can cast your care upon him. you got to be mentally tough because you live in a world of lies. And so you preach to yourself. And then accountability, where you're willing to open yourself up to some trusted others and say, okay, what's something I'm missing? What's a blind spot I'm missing that could become a little... It might become lethal in, in my life if I don't pay attention to it. 
Are you giving anyone permission to speak into your life? Here's something else to pay attention to. Grit. Just grit. Resilience. And yeah, it's partly a human quality. God, you're made in the image of God, but the Holy Spirit helps you with this kind of resilience and grit. It's passion. It's perseverance over the long haul where you, you play hurt at times. You expect hurdles. You're not shocked by them. You expect hurdles. You expect challenges, but you are absolutely relentless, and you say, with God's help, I'm going to get around this. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get over this unless it's in his wisdom for me to go another direction. But I'm not going to approach this without grit and without resilience. All of us in the room grew up hearing that wonderful little story of the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. That little blue engine. None of the bigger, stronger ones were interested in helping those toys on the other side of the mountain, but that little blue engine, I think I can. I think I can. I think God and I can. I don't know that I can, but I think God and I can. We can get through it. We can get around it. We'll go under it grit. And to develop grit, you're going to have to face difficulty and the obstacle. And then patience. Patience. Patience with yourself. Patience with others. Um, Years ago, a wise older man in this church took me aside and he said, Ronnie, you have got to become more patient. You just do. You're wearing everybody out. I love you, but you're wearing everybody out. And you're wearing me out. He said, nothing is ever enough for you. If we did this, we should have done that. If we did this, we could have done more. And he said, you must learn to enjoy the journey. And he said, stop just looking at how far you think we have to go and look at maybe how far we've come and do the same with people. Don't just look at how far that person has to go, what they need to, look at how far they've come. And just like the Lord, you know, just like the Lord's is, is patient with us as, as leaders, as people of influence, whether it's a few people or a lot of people. We're so used to microwaved oatmeal. A lot of you had that this morning, or micro, instant oatmeal or microwave popcorn. Let's be patient with one another. And uh, grace. Pay attention to Grace. Yes, grace to others, but even grace to yourself. You do know that the Lord loves you this morning, don't you? He doesn't just love some future version of you. He's for you this day, this day.
October 30, this day. He's for you. And as leaders, the most difficult person you have to leave will be yourself. And yeah, push yourself, have a little grit, be patient, and show, show grace to the journey. Because grace is the key to joy. And joy is, is what makes, I mean, if, if as a Christian, forgiven, redeemed, life on purpose, headed to heaven, if we can't celebrate, my goodness, who can? And so, my friends, today as we think about church leadership, my admonition to you is as you lead, do so in the touch of the Holy Spirit. Do so welcoming the Holy Spirit to help you and to bless you. Do so with joy to others. Do so knowing that what you do makes a difference. And you know what? People don't always come back and tell you it makes a difference. Parents, you know that. Your kids don't always say, Mom, Dad, you're making a real difference here. Um, years later, they might let you know. But you're making a difference. And to those of us here in the church too, let's, uh, let's make sure we hold up one another's hands. Let's love our leaders. Let's have a culture of honor and respect and help. That's good for everybody. And it's good for you.